0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us. So be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 12, to grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: An old cowboy goes to church. One Sunday morning, this this old cowboy entered a church just before the service were to begin. Although the old man and his clothes were spotlessly clean, he wore jeans, a denim shirt, and boots that were very worn and ragged. In his hand, he carried a worn-out old hat and an equally worn-out Bible. The church he entered was in a very upscale and exclusive part of the city. It was the largest and most beautiful church the old cowboy had ever seen. Well, the people of the congregation was all dressed with expensive clothes and accessories. As the cowboy took the seat, the others moved away from him. No one greeted, spoke to, or welcomed him. They were all appalled at his appearance and did not attempt to hide it. The preacher gave a long sermon about hellfire and brimstone and a stern lecture on how much money the church needed. As the old cowboy was leaving the church, the preacher approached him and asked the cowboy to do him a favor. Before you come back in here again, have a talk with God and ask him what he thinks would be appropriate attire for worship, the preacher said. Well, the old cowboy assured the preacher that he would. Well, the next Sunday, he showed back up for the services wearing the same ragged jeans, shirts, boots, and hat. Once again, he was completely shunned and ignored. The preacher approached the man and said, I thought I asked you to speak to God before you came back to our church. I did, replied the old cowboy. Well, if you spoke to God, then what did he tell you the proper attire should be for worshiping here, asked the preacher. Well, sir, God told me that he didn't have a clue what I should wear. He said he'd never been in this church before. (laughs) And might I add, any church where there is legalism, I can guarantee you God's not there. Any church, that's what I want to talk to you about. You know, I got to tell you something. Last week, we were together. We were in Matthew chapter 12. And we talked about legalism as the legalistic Pharisees were spying out and watching Jesus and his disciples as they moved about. And they're fellowshipping and they're talking and they're walking through a grain field. And so they were hungry. Naturally, they're walking and exercising, whatever. They're hungry. They take some of the grain. They rub it in their hands. They blow off the chaff and they eat it. And these Pharisees, these legalistic Pharisees, they saw it. And they, I I like to call them, I mean, the, the most amazing thing to me about that is, how do you catch someone eating wheat? I mean, what is up with that? I like to call these guys the Sabbath Bureau of Investigation or something. I mean, you know, the, the, the Sabbath police, they, they catch these guys eating wheat and they go to Jesus and they said, your disciples are eating on the Sabbath. And it was Jesus. We talked about it last week. Remember, Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Boy, you ought to go back and read it. It's awesome. He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And so last week we talked about how to overcome legalism. And we gave you three points last week. How to overcome legalism. If you're going to overcome legalism, got a pen? You're going to have to have a right understanding of God. Secondly, if you're going to overcome legalism, then you're going to have a right understanding of grace. And then you're going to have to have a right understanding of the word of God. Last week, we talked about that. And I titled my sermon, Legalism Versus Love, Part 1. I was at the beach this weekend, and... Uh, and uh, can't you see my tan? I, I, what? And so, you know, and, and last week I left the service, I left feeling like there was something more to be said. I left feeling like we didn't cover it all. I left feeling like, you know, maybe we should visit this whole topic of legalism in the church. Because can I tell you something? I think you already know. Legalism is alive and well in the church. If you know that, say Amen legal, and it's sad because the Lord doesn't want us to be legalistic people. God wants us to be people who are love and uh, of love and not, not of law. And so last week we talked about that. Legalism versus love. Part one. This morning I thought, well, let's just visit this one last time. Legalism versus love, part two. We're going to take a detour today. Other than Matthew chapter 12, take your Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll run one to you really quickly. Galatians chapter 3. Talk about legalism versus love. Now notice in Galatians chapter 3, Beginning in verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, some of y'all not there. We'll wait a second. Galatians chapter 3, saints, beginning in verse 1, if you're there, say amen. amen. Oh, foolish Galatians, underline that. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ, note this, was clearly betrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Now, stop right there, give me your attention. Let me set this up for you. Paul the Apostle is writing this epistle to the church in Galatia, or in the area of Galatia. And as Paul is writing this epistle, his blood is boiling and his heart is broken. Because these Christians in the area of Galatia, now understand something, Galatia is an area. It's a territory, it's not a church. It, like to the church, the book of Ephesians, that is written to a church. That is written to, like a church here, like a body, a group of people. Or, or the first Corinthians is written to a church, to a body, a group of people. But the church, the book of Galatians is written to a territory, to a region of people. And there are many churches in this region. And so Paul as he writes this epistle his heart is broken is because these jet, these 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 Judaizers are coming into the church and they're causing the Christians to revert back to Judaism. You see they're coming into the church these Judaizers and they're saying to the Christians listen it's good you're saved It's good that you're born again. It's good that you've received Christ. But if you're really saved, if you're really born again, then you're going to have to be circumcised. Now, right there, I'm out. I ain't doing that. In other words, what they're saying, if you're taking notes, what they're saying is, if you're really going to be a Christian and you're really born again, it's going to be painful. And isn't that what we hear essentially in the church today? If you're going to really love God, if you're really going to be a Christian, if you're going to be a sold out, born again believer, you're going to have to do this and that and this and that and this and that and conform to our rules and conform to our regulations. And it's going to have to be painful for you. This is what they were saying. And so Paul, he spent a lot of time in this area. He spent a lot of time in the area of Galatia going church to church, teaching them, clearly portraying Christ, he said. And now the Christians are starting to buy into this Judaism and this nonsense. And so Paul is upset and his heart is broken. Now, why do Christians live in legalism? Why do Christians live in legalism? Well, I think largely, largely, why Christians live in legalism, I think largely, and and number one, I think because most Christians have a distorted view of God. Most Christians have a distorted view of God. Most people, as a matter of fact, have a distorted view of God. People think God is angry. People think God is unloving. People think God is going to come down on their head as soon as they do something wrong, God is going to hammer them in the head. They have a distorted view of God. Can I tell you something? Perhaps you know, perhaps you don't. The God of the Bible is a loving and gracious and forgiving God. Amen, saints, if you know that? He is a love. Hey, you know what? There's a wonderful scripture. It's in Psalm 145, verse 8. It's Psalm 145, verse 8. Would you read it with me? The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and great in mercy. How much more plain can it be. God is slow to anger. God is great in mercy. He's not quick to judge. He's quick to forgive. And, and God looks beyond our faults. He, he sees our hearts and he wants us to repent, of course. But God is quick to forgive. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17, if you're taking notes, you can look it up in your own time. It says, and their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Now, what is the distance from the east and the west? There is no distance. It goes on and on and on. There's no definitive distance. And so God is saying, that's how far I cast your sin As far as the east is from the west, so God casts our sins away from him. Someone once said that God casts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore, and posts a sign that says, no fishing allowed. Don't you love that? Because, see, Satan would cause you to go fish for your sins. You lowlife, you're bad. You're a sinner. God doesn't love you. Look at all that you've done. How can you call yourself a Christian in the way that you've lived? See, that's fishing for your sins. And if God doesn't remember your sin, who are you to remember your sin? Amen, saints? So, so we need to cast our sin from us as well and say, hey, my sin is under the blood of Jesus and God forgets, forgets it and forgives me. And so I should move on. Christians have a distorted view of God. You know, I was at the beach, as I said, this weekend and, you know, doing a wedding. It was a beautiful wedding on the beach. It was gorgeous. I've never seen white dress and yellow flower. It was beautiful. And, 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 and so and we're, and we're, my wife and I were pulling up to, you know, park for the wedding. And this lady came out and she said, uh, and it was kind of, you had to go through this kind of house there and then out onto this private area beach or whatever. And, uh, this lady comes out and she goes, Oh, she says, Pastor, you, you've got to park in the right place. You know, you, you can't park there. You've got to park in the right place. She said, because, you know, there's these, these guys who come around and give tickets and, and they'll give you a ticket. And, and, and I happen to notice, you know, one of those, those, those ticket trucks or what, you know, the guys that drive around the beach, they got these little, Ticket trucks, I guess what you call them, and guys in them, and, 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 and I, you know, they, they must get a commission for how many tickets they give out. It's unbelievable. They just give people tickets, and, you know, and if you're parking in the wrong place, you know, you get a ticket. And, and it occurred to me then that, that some people view God that way. You know, if you do the wrong thing, if you behave the wrong way, you know, God is watching you with his holy radar gun. And, and, and as we obey, you know, all the rules and, you know, he pays little attention. But as soon as you run a red light, park in a handicap zone or do 70 in a 60, then all of a sudden God's going to come down on you and God's going to, you know, judge you and, and, and issue you an unholy ticket or something. You know, this is the way people view God, like a traffic cop. And then there's some people in their distorted view of God, they view God as domineering parent. You know, always watching over your shoulder, controlling every aspect of your life. And still others see God as a record keeper, almost like making a list and checking it twice and going to find out if you're naughty or nice. A record keeper. You see, keeps detailed records of every mistake and every fallop and every blunder. And then there are some Christians who live in legalism because legalism appears spiritual. Doesn't it? You know, legalistic Christians, they they seem very spiritual. They seem to have it all together. They look like Mr. Maturity. They're disciplined. They don't compromise. They are at each church service. They sing in the choir. They don't do this. They don't do that. They don't smoke or chew or go with girls who do. I mean, they you know, they don't do anything ever. They look so spiritual. And, of course, they have a well-worn Bible. Hmm. They've got notes in it because Roddy says take notes, so they do. And they've got all different colored pencils to highlight the promises of God, and the, you know, and everything is just so right. And they appear very spiritual. Their Bible is all marked up. But someone once said, "It matters not how much you mark your Bible, but does your Bible mark you?" And people like to take notes in the Bible and look spiritual. Isn't it true? And so legalistic Christians, they look very spiritual. Let me give you this morning four reasons why Christians shouldn't live in legalism. Four reasons why Christians shouldn't live in legalism. Number one, look in your Bibles again. Notice in verse one, living in legalism is foolish. Do you see that? Notice in verse 1, Paul is so upset at these Christians who are reverting back to legalism. He is so upset with them and so angry that they're doing this that he starts calling them names. Did you see that? Oh, foolish Galatians. Now, this word foolish in the Greek language means idiot. It it, it means idiot. It means out of your mind. You know, it was J.B. Phillips who translates this verse, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia, surely you can't be so idiotic. You know, my mom would say, have you lost your ever-loving mind? And don't make me slap you, boy. You see, Paul is furious with them. Now, this word that Paul uses, foolish or idiot, when you use the word idiot, you're not talking about someone with a learning disability, But you're talking about someone who is obviously not an idiot, but they act like one. And then he asks a very rhetorical question. Did you notice that? He says, who has bewitched you? Notice he doesn't say who has deceived you, but who has bewitched you or who has cast a spell on you that you should not obey the truth. Have you met people like that? I have. Man, I'm talking to them about the Bible. I'm looking at the things in Scripture. I'm sharing with them. Many times, you know, as, as we love people and God loves people, but I've shared the gospel in a very clear way to Mormons. I've shared the gospel in a very clear way to Jehovah's Witnesses. I will take their, their Bible and say, look, this is what your Bible has to say. A very clear, you know, sense of of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Very clear. And they just don't see it. And I'm looking at him thinking, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Notice he says that. Who's bewitched you that you shouldn't obey the truth? Christians shouldn't live in legalism because, number one, it's just idiotic. Number two, Christians shouldn't live in legalism because this is big it ignores the cross. Did you know that it ignores the cross? Notice Paul says, who has set a spell on you or who's bewitched you get this, that you do not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed. In other words, Paul is saying, as I went church to church. It's almost like he, you know, built a big billboard or painted a billboard before these people and, and, and show them that, that Christ died for them, show them that Christ loves them, clearly portrayed Christ, he says, clearly. He says, who has bewitched you that, that you shouldn't obey the truth? I've clearly portrayed it. The cross of Christ was like, 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 like I said, like this billboard. How could you miss the message? and be so deceived into legalism. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul said, If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ died in vain. You see, the cross is good news about Christ and not good advice to men. The cross isn't an invitation for us to do anything, but a declaration of what God has already done. And when you fall into legalism, it ignores the very reason Christ died. There was a man named Martin Luther and and he found this to be true. He's the father of the Protestant Reformation you probably know. And he was a monk who had gone out and and, and all out in his religious practices trying to appease and please God. And one day, while he was climbing the steps on his knees, there were these pieces of broken glass on the steps. And, And the steps were actually circular. And so Martin Luther is climbing the steps on these broken pieces of glass on his knees, praying and seeking God, offering prayers at each step. And he heard the Spirit of God speak to his heart. And the Spirit of God said to him, true story, if a man is going to be just, it isn't by what he does or who he is. For the just, you know it, shall live by faith. God spoke that to his heart. And from there, Martin Luther got up and founded the Protestant Reformation. He reformed the whole Protestant way of thinking. You see, it's by faith. Are you understanding this? It's by faith, not by works. It's by faith, not by religion. It's by faith, not by ritual. It's by faith, not by religion. It's by faith, not by tithing. Now, I know some pastors hear me say that. They'd probably say, What are you, crazy? Why would you say that? Because it's true. Say man, if you know what I'm talking about, it's by faith you can't get righteous by tithing. Now make no mistake. Be blessed, tithe I mean? All right. <laughs> we don't reckon to say that. <laughs> but you, will be, you won't be any more righteous because you tithe. It's by faith, not by church attendance. It's by faith, not by reading your Bible. You see, you can't read your Bible and go, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek God. You see, none of these things make you righteous. The, 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 The truth is you get to pray. You get to read your Bible. But it doesn't make you any more righteous. It does strengthen you. But these are things that just strengthen the believer. It doesn't make you any more righteous. Can I tell you something? God loves you today. He will not ever love you any more today than he's ever loved you. You've always been loved by God. He cannot love you anymore. He can't love you anymore. God can't love you anymore. He loved you today. He knew you were in your mother's womb. He loved you then and he loves you now the same. You can't change that. Nothing that you do. So it's by faith and not by works, by faith, not by religion, by faith, not by ritual, by faith, not by anything else. Here's the equation. Here's the equation. Mathematical equation. Grace plus nothing equals salvation. Don't add anything to it. And don't take anything away from it. I heard a preacher say the other day on on TV. He said, "You know, it's by faith that you are saved, my brothers. By faith." And it just drove me nuts. I wanted to pull the TV out and throw it out the window. I'm like, ah, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that we are saved by grace through faith. And that is not of yourself, it's the gift of God, lest anybody should boast in Ephesians chapter 2. The Bible does not say you are saved by faith. And this is important for you to understand. You see, there's so much talk about faith, your faith, and, and, and what you do through your faith. And you need more faith, and you need big faith. Isn't that a lot of talk about that in the church today? But can I tell you something? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, Jesus says, it's not about your big faith, it's about your small faith. Because he said is by the faith, if you have the faith the size of a grain of, oh, you know that. Then you shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and it shall be removed. Now, a mustard seed, you already know this, is the smallest seed known to man. Therefore, Jesus says you don't need great faith in order to be born again, in order to be saved. You need small faith. Just a little bit. Don't flatter yourself. Just a little bit. And so the Bible says that it is by grace are you saved through faith. You see, see, if you, if you change that around and you start thinking, well, it's by my faith, then, then, it, then it puts the burden on you and then, then, then salvation begins with you. Because then it's by your great faith. But if you say, wait a minute, no, this is not about me. This is about the grace of God. For by grace are you saved. Well, then salvation begins with him and is extended to you. And so then you receive the grace of God and then you, you you um, you know, a couple your faith with God's grace to believe that God can move and work in your life. But it's by grace are you saved through faith and that's not of yourselves and don't confuse that because if you mess that up, you're going to be messed up. That's what Paul says. And when you start confusing that, you start distorting and ignoring the cross of Jesus Christ. It's by faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Not by what you do, but what he did. Not by legalism, but by love. Point number three, taking notes, living in legalism, get this, contradicts the Holy Spirit. You see that in verse two and three? Notice what Paul says. He says, tell me something. When I came to you and I preached to you and you received Christ and you asked the spirit to come upon you and empower you to be the men and the women that God wants you to be. He says this, did you receive the spirit by the law or by faith?
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina.